Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 137 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hello, Adam. Hi. How are you? I'm great. This was fun. This was fun. This is a fun episode. Yeah. So slightly different than normal Thursdays. So we still have a bunch of book recommendations in this episode, but they're not our book recommendations. They're Nancy Pearl's book recommendations. They are Nancy Pearl's book de- Ugh. I cannot talk today. That's I good. totally had it going. It was just not working. Nancy Pearl's book recommendations. Yeah, we just got done interviewing Nancy Pearl. If that name is familiar, uh, that means that you are somewhat familiar with libraries because she is America's librarian, as they call her. Um, she's on NPR all the time. She has an action figure, and she just she's written books. We talk about her debut novel, George and Lizzie. Uh, that's we kick off the conversation with that. And then we dive into some of her favorite books of the recent past. So, yeah, a blast. It was. Um, Good times. All of the titles that she recommended are in the show notes. And I'm probably also going to make a recommendation list on Overdrive.com with all of hers just so that I can make content out of that. (laughs) So, man, she's amazing. Yes, this is a fun conversation. She talks... It's a very wide-range conversation. Yeah. Because we, we talk about George and Lizzie. We talk about her writing, libraries, books. Yeah. I, and I feel like there's sometimes sometimes we'll speak with people who we kind of have to tease answers out of them. And, you know, there's some conversations where it's you and I speaking more just because we want to make sure that they get comfortable. I felt like we didn't even need to be in the room. Nancy could have just spoke for a half hour on her own. She was, oh, I was glad we were in the room. Yes. Obviously. Be weird for her to host our podcast. It would be a little weird. <laughs> um, but yeah, you guys are gonna love this. Um, if people want to get a hold of us, how can they do that? They can find us on Twitter at ProBookNerds and email us directly at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. Yes, they can. And I don't want to promise anything, but after we got done recording, Nancy said that we could do more book recommendations with her in the future. So we will. Whether or not we record it or if Joe and I just keep those, we'll decide. We can't keep them. We have to share. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's we'll not share. very nice. Um, okay. I, I feel giddy because we just did this interview. Right. But is there anything else we should talk about before we uh, people actually listen? I don't think so. I don't think so either. All right. Well, you guys are going to love this. I hope you truly enjoy this interview and book chat with the wonderful America's Librarian, Nancy Pearl, on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Adam and Jill again, and today we are incredibly thrilled to be joined by Nancy Pearl, who is known around the United States as America's Librarian. She frequently speaks at library conferences, community groups, and literacy organizations around the world, and is a frequent book commentator on NPR. Her book lust titles continue to provide wonderful book recommendations for readers all around the globe, and she was named the 2011 Librarian of the Year by Library Journal. Her debut novel, George and Lizzie is available now for pre-order and will be out on September 5th. Nancy, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. We have lots of questions about the library world, um, but to start off, though, we want to give you an opportunity to chat about George and Lizzie. So can you give our listeners an introduction to your debut novel? Yes. 
Well, um, it's the story of a young couple who are very, very different from one another. Um, Lizzie grows up in Ann Arbor. Her parents are behavioral psychologists who really treat her as a subject um, for their experiments more than as a child to love. And George grows up in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He's the, um, uh, you know, he has a stay-at-home ma- mom. His dad is an orthodontist. He, when they meet in Ann Arbor, George is there for dental school, and Lizzie is um, a sophomore in, in as an undergrad. And this, this two, these two people, these this very, very different um, couple, um, fall in love and. The question, I think, as we follow their relationship through the book is, can two people from such different worlds really make a life together? And what complicates things especially is that when Lizzie was a senior in high school, she made this sort of, um, this kind of dreadful misstep. She just chose to do something that really was, not going to be very helpful to her, um, although she thought maybe it would. And that haunts Lizzie as well as a boyfriend um, who kind of walked out of her life and she's never heard from again. So all of those things really make that relationship between George and Lizzie um, quite complex and interesting to read about. You just it's mentioned, really interesting oh, for me to write about. Yeah, uh, you mentioned the word complex, and that made me kind of laugh a little bit because you are such an active person. You do so many different things. So I'm curious, you know, with a novel with so many layers to this and the complexities of your own life, what made you want to write a novel at this point? Yeah, that's a good question. Sometimes I ask myself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Um, about, you know, about seven years ago, these two characters, George and Lizzie, just sort of came into my head one night as I was um, falling asleep. And all that I knew about them when they came into my head was their names. And I knew where they met. They met at a bowling alley in, in Ann Arbor. And I knew the circumstances under which they met. I knew what had brought them both to the bowling alley at that particular that particular evening, and that's all I knew. And so for for really years afterwards, I, I wasn't writing anything down. I was just thinking about them all the time. And, and gradually, the rest of their lives kind of opened themselves up to me. So in some ways, it wasn't that I made this decision um, about Lizzie's parents, what they would do, or what George's parents would do, or who Lizzie's best friend was, or or anything. I, I didn't. It, it didn't feel like I was choosing anything about them. It felt like I was discovering things about them. I was uncovering parts of their life that I hadn't that that they were revealing to me. So it was a very interesting, an interesting way to. Um, Especially for me, because I, you know, have, I haven't written fiction um, for years and years and years, decades. So this was a very interesting way to to work with that. Um, and so, you know, it's it's hard when people say, well, why did you choose to have Lizzie's parents be behavioral psychologists? And I say, well, they are behavioral psychologists, <laughs> and I was just writing down what I knew about them. 
that that actually, it does. No, and that actually, though, actually goes to my next question, which is if you have a background in writing prior to this, and it sounds like you do. Well, I was always, all through high school and college, I wrote poetry and, and, um, and had some success with um, contests and, uh, you know, things, publications, things like that. And then all the, po- all the lines that used to come to me as poetry started coming as prose. Um, and the poetry just wasn't there anymore. I couldn't access it, you know, beginning in my 30s, I think. I couldn't access any of the poetry. And so I started writing short stories. And, be- I, and I wrote my first short story because a line came to me that was so clearly prose and not poetry. The line was, my mother talked to us all the time. And that's not poetry. That seems to me to be the beginning of some story. And so I wrote a story about you with that line as the first line, and it was published by Red Book Magazine way back in 1980. And and they loved the story and said, oh, send us everything that you write. We'd like <laughs> to see it. And, and, and I did, but everything I sent in, they would say, oh, this is so nicely written, but it's too depressing for our readers. <laughs> so gradually, I just, and I was, and I was a, a, you know, a mom and a wife and a librarian all during those years as well, and I, I just stopped writing for, for many years. That's so interesting, because for so many of the authors that we, we speak with, they talk about the fact that one of the most important parts and aspects of their writing process is being well read and you are probably better read than just about anyone around with the amount of books that you read and um so did you ever think even throughout that time while you were writing poetry or even short stories or like you said even when you when you weren't doing a lot of writing because life happened uh did you always kind of imagine that you know someday you will write a novel or did it just because George and Lizzie came into your head like you said about seven years ago did you just say like okay this is an idea and I need to you know I want to grow this out a little bit um I didn't think that I I I I was really I loved reading I think all my years and years and years of reading really gave me a sense of a, a knowledge about the books I like and why I like them um you know it's always been a big professional interest and personal interest of mine to, to figure out why people like the books they like. Um, and, you know, over the years in teaching at the University of Washington's information school, I, I developed a sort, of, a sort of way of understanding that. And so I didn't think I would write a novel. And, and if George and Lizzie hadn't come to me and been so darn interesting that I couldn't stop thinking about them and wondering what they were doing at any particular moment in their, in their early lives together I I wouldn't have written anything so now that you've written one novel do you think you would write another one um you know for right now I just sort of want to enjoy what's what's happening like being on this podcast and things like that um I I I think that I what I've started thinking about is some of the secondary characters in George and Lizzie. One of Lizzie's old boyfriends is um, a football player named Maverick. And I, I, I've been thinking about, you know, we don't see these characters after they're in their mid-30s. And, and I've been thinking about what, what Maverick is doing now that he's turning 50. 
um, what his life is like, what he regrets. So I can see, and then Lizzie's best friend um, is is Marla, and I think about what what Marla's life is going to be. So I can see staying in the same world with those with those minor characters, um, where George and Lizzie have moved a little bit off stage, and we're just concerned with them. But um, coming up with a whole new a whole new set of characters and a whole new world, that seems as unlikely to me as the whole notion of writing a novel ever did. <laughs> um, one more question about the, the craft of, of creating George and Lizzie before uh-huh. we move on to some other stuff. Um, I'm curious, because you weren't you know, writing these long-form stories beforehand and and you, know, you said kind of over the, the period of seven years, it wasn't really that you were writing everything down at first, you were just collecting these ideas here and there that you would jot down. But once you decided to, to write this novel, you know, a lot of our listeners, you know, maybe people who are interested in writing but also have full-time jobs. And so I'm just curious, what was your writing process like once you decided to commit to this? Did you take some time off from work or were you just kind of writing whenever you had, had free time here and there? The latter, mostly. I, I, I wasn't very, I, I really wasn't very, um, not, not to say I wasn't committed to it, but I wasn't very diligent about it. And I really always envied writers, you know, who could, whose writing is their job and they start writing at nine and either write a certain number of words or a certain number of pages or, you know, write for till five o'clock. I just, I just think that's so admirable. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I don't have a, I, I write on, you know, my, my place to write is the dining room table with my, <laughs> with my laptop. And I, I wasn't diligent. I still found it much more fun to think about those characters and to sort of, you know, write sentences about them in my head than it was to actually sit down and translate what was in my head to, um, you know, to put it on, put it on paper, as it were, um, enter it into the computer, which I found very painful in many ways because, because it was so, you know, the sentences flowed in my head, and when you get down and start pushing those keys on, on your laptop, they didn't flow any longer. It was really sort of gutting it out. We're on the phone. Yeah, we're actually we're on the phone, so you can't see this right now, and, and neither can anyone listening in. But Joe and I are both kind of like silently chuckling because I think we can both one hundred percent understand what you mean. Where you have these wonderful ideas in your brain, and then you right. sit down and you're like, "All right, hands, let's type this. <laughs> this let's type this yeah. up. It never right. happens." Right. Yeah, and I'm just you know from I'm a people <clears throat> I'm in my heart I am a very critical reader. And I've made it, um, I just always, in, my, in all of my reviewing, like for Morning Edition or for the uh, local NPR public radio stations, where I've reviewed, I only talk about books that I've really enjoyed. And I, and I do that deliberately because, you know, on, on radio or in any medium, you only get so many, you know, just a little bit of time to talk about books. And I've always thought, why waste time talking about books I don't like? You know, rather than telling somebody not to read something, I'd rather find a, you know, talk about a book that I think they should read. And so um, people tend to think that, um, it, so it just, so because I only talk about the books I love, 
um, it, it sometimes appears to, to people who later tell me this that that I'm not critical enough about the books that I read. But in fact, I am extremely critical about books, and probably for every 20 books that I pick up and and try to decide whether I'm going to read, I end up reading at the most one or two of those books. So with my own writing, I was so critical. So, you know, I would write a sentence like, um, George took Lucy's arm, and then I would think, well, where did he take it? (laughs) What did she do with one arm? I mean, things that an an ordinary reader I don't think would even think about um, just would me in my tracks when I was writing. I don't know. I think that's a process all writers go through, especially when it comes to writing a book, because you finally get to that stage and you're like, this is horrible. <laughs> like, what have I spent all these months doing? <laughs> yeah, I think yes. that's something yeah. everybody goes through. <laughs> yeah. And then I think, I think, then I think you need um, a, a good reader to read it and say, it's not horrible. You know, it's somebody who you trust. Yes. To sort of say it isn't horrible, or I mean, I there was somebody who would read my the stuff that I was writing, um, the chapter, the, the the kind of sections or snapshots. I call them little snapshots in the book. The snapshots that I was reading, and he would just say, "Keep writing," you know. Yes, this is good. Keep writing. I mean, he wasn't especially at all. He wasn't you know, editing it for me or anything. He was just encouraging me mm-hmm. to keep on, which is what I think a lot of, I mean, I found that incredibly useful, helpful. I I, I can't get past the fact that you just, you know, George took Lizzie's arm and then, <laughs> where, well, where did he take it? Just like putting it so literal in your own brain. I was like, I'm right. trying so hard not to <laughs> laugh loudly while we talk, but I was, I love that idea so much. Yeah, right. Right, and then you sort of ask yourself, well, what did she do with one arm? <laughs> you know, is that, you know, is that cultural appropriation that I'm writing about somebody with one arm and I have two arms? I don't know. It could get complicated. Uh, you are incredible. Okay, um, so sort of on that subject of, of book recommendations that you were talking about and, and uh-huh. recommending books that you would like, um, do you have anything that you're reading right now Um Maybe, you know, I don't know what your reading schedule is like, but if you have, you know, across a wide variety, so if there's like a nonfiction book you yeah. really liked or a, a historical fiction, just give us, we want some book recommendations from Nancy Pearl. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, there's a book that just came out in May from Orbit, and it's called, it's by M.R. Carey, and it's called The Boy on the Bridge, and it's um, a, a dystopian, post-apocalyptic novel. I tend to like those. I loved Justin Cronin's The Passage um, a lot. And I've just started this. I started it last night as a kind of um, respite from all the literary non-genre fiction that I've been reading. Um, and, and so far, I'm really, really liking it. I, I didn't read. He's the author, or I guess it's a he. He's the author of a book called The Girl with All the Gifts which I did not read, but I'm thinking now I might go back and, and pick it up. That so, got a lot of positive reviews, His The Girl with All the Gifts. Yeah, that's a, uh-huh. that's a big one. Yeah, I don't know why I didn't, I, I, I never know why I didn't read a book earlier, but I, it didn't cross my path, I think, and I didn't pick it up. Um, but I'm really liking The Boy and the Bridge. Nonfiction, 
um, a book that I just absolutely loved, well, uh, two nonfiction books. One is older, a couple years ago, um, called The Oregon Trail by Rinker Buck. And, uh, boy, this is the kind of book that I can see almost anyone liking it because if, if you're a fan of, um, well, first, it's Rinker Buck and his brother decide to drive a follow in the footsteps of the pioneers who went out on the Oregon Trail, and in a and but he goes not in a car or on foot or a bicycle. He goes on a covered wagon pulled by mules um, to see what that was like. And this is the story of that journey. And it is just it's wonderful for, for people who love history. It's wonderful for people who like humor. Um, I'm thinking that. Um, you know, it, um, Bill Bryson's books, if, if people are fan, a fan of Bill Bryson's books, that's a really good one. Um, the Oregon Trail is a really good one to give to them. Um, and it was just a delight to read, and passages have stayed in my head for, you know, I, I read it, I guess, about two and a half years ago now. But I just absolutely still love that book. But a new book, a new nonfiction book that I really, really um, enjoyed and recommend is by a man named Stephen Kinzer, and it's called The True Flag, Theodore Roosevelt, Mark Twain, and the Birth of American Empire. Stephen Kinzer is um, a, a popular historian that is, um, he is not an academic, and he, he's written many books, and I, I really have liked, I have enjoyed all of his, all of his accounts, whether it's um, a story about the revolution in Nicaragua, or he did a biography, of the of the Dulles brothers and their role in government, and this one is um, a particularly interesting period to me, the beginning of the 20th century, and Theodore Roosevelt's um, push to make uh, America, the United States, an imperial power, and Mark Twain's writings um, and 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 great disagreements about America's role in the world. And it, even though it's um, more than a century, writing about more than a century ago, it's still very relevant today. And Stephen Kinzer is just a wonderful, wonderful sort of natural um, writer, so that you're you're just carried along on his on his prose. Good story, man. Nonfiction. I, that's amazing. Um, I, we're gonna make, we're gonna tease a few more out of you here and there, but I'm I'm okay. curious. Um, one. Do you, how do you kind of track, do you have a way that you kind of track what you've been reading? Joe and I are both very different when it comes to this. I just use like Goodreads and I keep everything online, but Joe tends to have, you have a, she has like a spreadsheet of everything. So for everything Uh you read, and then I can only imagine through, you know, working with NPR and then throughout the year, and I assume at the end of the year, just about everybody in the world wants to know Nancy Pearl's top books of the year, but... How do you kind of track everything that you've read throughout the year? Yeah, you know, I'm not very good at that um, because, again, for a long time, I just kept it all in my head. And when I wrote the book lust book, I I had no notes. I mean, I just oh my um, god, I just sort of drew things out of. I would think of a topic for the book lust books. I'd think of a topic, and then I would think about all the books I'd read that would fit that topic. Which is why, because I don't have a spreadsheet and. Goodreads wasn't around um, when I was writing the first book list book that that I left stuff out that's so obvious you know books I loved just didn't come into my head when I was working on on that book 
which is kind of embarrassing, the books that I left out. So now I try to just keep a list of the books that I've read. Um, I, you know, I, I keep wanting to use, make more use of Goodreads, and I just find that it's not yet sort of fitting into my regular routine. That, I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah no, that makes sense. Um, yeah. And I'm not any good with, um, you know, spreadsheets <laughs> with Excel. No, so neither am I. <laughs> it wouldn't be good for me to try to do that. <laughs> so you talked um, about how you don't recommend books that you don't like. So it's sort of a follow-up to that. Do you finish books you don't like or do you stop? I do not finish books that I don't like. And years ago, um, I was on a radio show and we were taking phone calls. And someone said, um, well, you know, I'm in the middle of this book and I just really, I just feel like I'm slogging through it. How many pages do I have to give it before I can, you know, stop reading? And so I came up with what has become known as the rule of 50, which is that if you're 50 years and under, give a book 50 pages. And, you know, (laughs) at the bottom of page 50, just ask yourself, am I loving this book? And if you are, go on and read it. If all you care about is who marries whom or, you know, who the, who the murderer was, read the last page. I mean, you know, nobody knows that you haven't finished the middle, the last, you know, 200 pages of the book. And then when you're over 50, when you're 51 and up, what you should do is subtract your age from 100 and that number, which gets smaller every year, um, is kind of our reward, so we can. That's the number of pages that you should read before you give up on a book. Uh, that's see, we are so <laughs> on the same page with you. Life's too short to read books that you don't enjoy. Yes, totally. Uh, and, and, and there's so many books. There's so many good books out there, and you know, I think that that's that's what libraries are for. Um, there, there, there's librarians that can help you find your next good book. And there's places, yeah, you know, life is way too short to suffer through a book that you're not enjoying, except, I guess, if it's for your book club. (laughs) I I would say try to read it all the way through. Oh, if I had a dollar for every time my mother calls me and tells me she's hating the book that her book club is reading, I would be very wealthy. (laughs) You'd be, yeah, you'd be, um... On some, on some island, enjoying, <laughs> soaking up the sun. Yeah. Um, you mentioned, you know, libraries and the importance of librarians. Jill here is a librarian. We have many, many oh. librarians that work at Overdrive. But yes. I'm curious, uh, what made you want to get into the field of becoming a librarian? Well, I, I, when I was growing up in Detroit, I, I came from my, my home was not a particularly... Um, happy or I felt safe place to be and so I would go to the library my local public library the Parkman branch library there every you know every day basically after school I would spend all day Saturday there and um, it was those librarians that really particularly a librarian uh, named Miss Whitehead um, who who really opened the world to me and showed me that there were different ways of being, different ways of living than what I was growing up with. Um, And so I knew when I was 10 years old that that that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a children's librarian just like Miss Whitehead, and, and I wanted to give to other children that great gift that she gave to me, that that world of of books 
and, and the joy of reading. So I love that so much. That's so good. And I'm just in here like, that's a lovely story. <laughs> um, so when you were growing up, what kind of books did you read? Well, like a lot of girls, I read all horse and dog books for many years, <laughs> and um, and there are still some some I have uh, some of those my favorite books I have managed to from those years I have managed to find to use book sales and things like that. There are some that I I just so much wish I had a copy of, um, but you know Miss Whitehead gradually weaned me away from the horse and the you know just reading horse and dog books and that she would do it this way you know I would be at the library and she would say Nancy we just got a new horse book in do you want to be the first person to read it and I would say oh my god that is so I mean I'd say to myself oh of course I want to be the first person I mean can you imagine the first person to get this library book all shiny (laughs) and new and and you know I would hold out my hand and you know wait for her to give me the book and then she'd say oh but before you read that I'd just like you to read the, the Little White Horse by Elizabeth Gouge or The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien. I mean, she would give me other <laughs> books, and, and she was Canadian, so she had grown up on all of the British fiction, so E. Nesbitt's books, and, you know, and then I moved into, um, discovered, because of Miss Whitehead, the Edward Eager books, uh, which are so wonderful, Half Magic. Um, all of those, and and so little by little, I I sort of broadened my reading. But if we went to the Parkman Library today, I could take you to the, I could show you in what was then the children's room where those horse and dog books were shelved. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so as you um, as you kind of grew up and and now with all of the reading that you're doing, do you? I know that you you read. You know, I, you know, a lot of pretty much everything, but do you have a preferred genre? Like, if you were going to pick something that just kind of relax and enjoy, do you have something that you'll always kind of lean towards? Um, I do love, I do, I do read a lot of everything and enjoy a lot of all kinds of books. I'm willing to give any book its opportunity to have its way with me. But, um, but the one, but for for kind of relaxation and fun and really for a I would say I I do like thrillers. Um, I do like spy novels. Um, I like mysteries that aren't too um, graphically violent. I don't like mysteries where you start, you know, you you start in the mind. The first chapter is you're in the mind of either the, the, the serial killer or the victim. Those I do not like and stop those immediately. But especially these days for, you know, the sort of, um, you know, the, the uncertainty of the world around us, um, I, I've been reading, trying to escape through, um, through the thrillers I've been reading. Do you have any particular titles you could recommend in that genre for us? Uh, I, I, I thought you'd never ask. Absolutely. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of my favorite um, spy novelists, is uh, and thriller writers he does both is a guy named Joe Cannon K A N O N and he has a new book out called Defectors which is set in 1951 really the the heart of the Cold War and it's about two brothers one who has 
uh, worked at the CIA and turned out to be a spy for the um, for the Russians and has now defected and is living in Moscow. And his brother, who is um, in New York working for a publisher, and what happens to the two of them when the older one goes to when the publisher goes to Moscow to help his brother write his memoirs. So I love that kind of book. Um, uh, John Le Carre has a new novel coming out. I'm really, really excited about reading that. Um, he's one of my favorite writers. For a straight mystery, um, there's a couple that I that I quite enjoyed, and they're very different. One is called August Snow by a man named Stephen Mac Jones, which is set in um, Detroit, um, in the present in Detroit, and having grown up and spent the first 18 years of my life in Detroit, um, it was just a, a delight to read, but I have to say, even people who aren't from Detroit um, will will enjoy this book. It's it's quite um, it's quite a page turner. And then there's a a, a really good um, cozy mystery called Design for Dying by um, <laughs> Renee Patrick. And Renee Patrick is actually a husband and wife team who um, have have started this uh, writing this series of books set in Hollywood in the late 1930s and the main one of the main one of the two main characters is Edith Head who is head of the costume department at Paramount Studios so you know uh, people who love um, classic movies movies of the 30s and 40s will love I think Renee Patrick's books Oh, oh, I can guarantee Adam and I are both yeah. going to be like, we need to read those books right now, please. Yes, please. <laughs> um, so I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't ask about the Nancy Pearl action figure. Yes. How so did that Nancy come about? <laughs> oh, yes. So the librarian action figure. Um, so so my book, Lust Book, the first book, Lust Book, came out in 2003. And in about 2000, early in 2002, I was at a dinner party, and um, a man who was there is, um, very, is somebody who's known in, in the Seattle area because he has a store called Archie McPhee where they have a lot of funny things. And um, one of the things that they had been doing then was doing um, what they called action figures. So there was a Jane Austen action figure, Shakespeare action figure, a Jesus action figure. And he was telling us that people were writing in, telling, telling him that the Jesus action figure was performing miracles for them. And I said, well, but Mark, the people who really perform miracles every day are librarians. And, he, and somebody else said, Mark, you should do a librarian action figure. And then someone else said, um, and Nancy should be the model for it. <laughs> and and um, as and then the conversation went on to other things. And as we were driving home that night, my husband um, said his five favorite words to me. I'm, I I got to count four favorite words to me, which are um, Nancy, think this through. <laughs> <laughs> he said, "Do you really want to be a five-inch, non-biodegradable plastic figure?" Um, and I said, oh, Joe, it'll never happen. Don't worry about it. But it did happen. And um, and I, I went to Muckleteo, Washington, which is where their offices were, which is north of Seattle, to be digitized. And I've always thought that if I write a, a memoir, which I don't intend to do, 
um, I would begin it with the line, I went to Muckle Teo to be digitized. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so Jesus, Shakespeare, and Nancy Pearl, that's a, that's a pretty decent group you belong to right there. Yeah, right. <laughs> I know, high company. Oh, my goodness. I love that so much. Um, so towards the end of our podcast, we do what we call the Nerd Nine, which are usually just nine rapid-fire questions, but... I'm going to cheat a little bit because the first one is what's the last book you read? But instead, because you're you, I'm going to ask, uh, do you have a favorite book of this year so far? Um, I think that, um, oh my God, that's so hard and it's not going to be rapid because that's a, that's they, okay. they never I think, are. I think Lincoln and the Bardo by George Saunders. So, that would be my favorite book so far of the year. We, um, we got to chat with him actually for the podcast and that was one of those people where we both just felt inferior intellectually <laughs> speaking with uh, him. Oh, I know. I know. I, absolutely. Totally. I understand that. I, I would feel the same way. I once had to interview um, T.C. Boyle um, and, and he's very, very, very tall and he wears at that time he was wearing red sneakers red converse sneakers and his books are so you know wonderful and deep and on all these different levels and i i just i thought that was the only time i i was nervous about doing an interview i mean that was the first and most serious time i was oh. i was nervous especially because people kept coming up to me when it was announced that i was going to do this interview at, at the at a book festival People kept coming up and sort of saying, T.C. Boyle, huh? And they would <laughs> shake their head in sympathy. And uh, like, oh, my God. Oh, so anyway, funny. so I, I totally get that. Uh, yeah, but Lincoln and the Bardo is an amazing book. Um, do you have a favorite place to read? Um, no, I, bas- I basically read everywhere. But, um, you know, I always carry a book. And uh, and in my house, there's we have a skylight and the in the afternoon it gets a lot of sun and I like to sit under on a chair underneath the skylight to read that's kind of fun um do you have anything that you would consider a guilty pleasure no I've tried to avoid that thinking uh, I mean if you exclude like chocolate chip cookies and things <laughs> like that, those are those are you know sure you know, Snickers bars and stuff like that <laughs> Um, but reading a guilty pleasure, no, because I don't think you should feel guilty whatever you're reading. We agree. Uh, what's is there one place you'd like to travel that you have not yet been to? Um, I I would like to go to. I've been fortunate that I've been able to do a, some traveling, but I've never been to Greece. And I'd like to do that because I was a history major. I mean, I have a master's degree in history. And um, I was always very interested in, I did a sophomore, my sophomore research paper on Thucydides, the great historian of the Peloponnesian War. And I'd like to go there. Uh, Do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate? A favorite holiday? Well, my least favorite holiday is Halloween. I think my favorite holiday is Thanksgiving. Because I love that sort of classic turkey. It doesn't have to be spatchcocked or, you know, um, <laughs> submerged in whatever the term is, mm-hmm. submerged in salt water. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, you know, the biggest turkey you can find and 
all that good stuffing and gravy, all that kind of stuff. That's what I like. But there's a great scene in, in George and Lizzie that I had a lot of fun writing about. Uh, Lizzie's parents always have a Thanksgiving for um, their graduate students who they're supervising and various other <clears throat> academic people. And it's the first place, it's the first time George is going to meet Lizzie's parents. And it was very fun to write that um, that kind of anti-Thanksgiving that they have. <laughs> Are you a coffee person or a tea person? I'm a tea person. A tea person. Cats or dogs? In fact, in, oh, go I'm ahead. Sorry, black. Black tea. Black tea? Mostly um, Assam tea, which I really like, and, and um, um, English breakfast. But there's a, I was once in Safeway um, buying some instant coffee. Uh, and somebody came up to me and said, I never thought I'd see someone in Seattle buying instant coffee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Um, are you a cat person or a dog person? Dog. Uh, you know, a little of both. I mean, they have such different purposes, I think. Um, um, but we, we had both, and I, I like both of them. I, I would like a Siamese cat, though, I think, at this point. Do you have a favorite food? Um, apples. And then, if you could have dinner with one person, alive or dead, who would you choose? Um, you know, Ann Tyler. Ooh, that's a good one. So as our final question, we would like to know what you hope readers take away from George and Lizzie. What I hope that readers take away from George and Lizzie is a sense that they've met people who have become friends, you know, with them, that they've, that they've met people who's, who they enjoy spending time with and wonder about after the last page of the book. That's fantastic. Nancy, thank you so much for joining us today. We had a blast. Oh, I did too. Thank you thank so much you. for asking me. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not. It's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.